Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Gen Furukawa, founder of Retainable and former VP of Marketing at Jungle Scout. In this episode, Gen shared how he previously dealt with churn and retention as the VP of Marketing at Jungle Scout, and how it affected the marketing metrics his team needed to track. We also talked about how to get buy-in and convince the leadership team to focus on reducing churn, who should own customer churn and retention within a company, and Gen's advice for a startup struggling with churn. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest-growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, again, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Andrew. Excited to be here. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, for the listeners, Gen is the founder of Retainable. And Retainable helps B2B companies reduce churn uh, to help generate more revenue by recovering failed payments, driving reactivations, and converting upsell opportunities. Prior to Retainable, Gen was the VP of Marketing at Jungle Scout. And Jungle Scout built software and have a community for Amazon sellers. He was the first marketing hire that led the growth of the company to over 100,000 customers. So my first question for you is, you spent the last eight plus years helping Amazon sellers. What made you make the switch to focus on B2B companies to reduce churn? Yeah, uh, sure. So it's actually about four years at Jungle Scout. And it was really, uh, it was an interesting play because Jungle Scout is a software to help Amazon sellers, but it is of course a software as a service. So I was leading the marketing team. I was uh, responsible for awareness and acquisition. And I was part of the founding team. So I was the first marketing hire from the very start. When I joined, it was just a Chrome extension. So it was a one-time purchase. And at that point, that's when, you know, like driving acquisition is really primary because you buy your extension for a lifetime, you own it forever. So retention is not a problem. Soon after, though, we, we did launch the SaaS product. So that's when uh, we introduced a challenge of churn for Jungle Scout. So Jungle Scout is an Amazon product research tool, and it helps people find products to sell on Amazon. The challenge, though, very similar to what a dating app might be, is once you help a person find a product to sell on Amazon, then they no longer necessarily need it until they're ready for their next product. So that's kind of where churn became a challenge. We help people uh, succeed, find their product, and then they could either pause or, or uh, cancel and then come back. So um, it, 
it was and still is the best tool on the market in terms of um, helping Amazon sellers. Uh, but churn was a challenge. And so I saw that it was uh, a challenge that a lot of companies, a lot of SaaS companies uh, face, but there really is no uh, definitive solution or the resources out there to solve the problem are um, not really as, as uh, prevalent as I was hoping. So I saw an opportunity to help other SaaS companies uh, in the same way that we tried to uh, tackle the challenge at Jungle Scout. Very interesting. I think there's a lot to unpack in that uh, and we can dive into on the topic for the show. Uh, and, and sorry, my correction as well, I saw through the LinkedIn bio and then prior to Jungle Scout, you'd also worked in various other roles that had focused on Amazon sellers. So uh, hence the mistake there. But um, you mentioned something very interesting and uh, it's something I don't think we've had the opportunity to really dive into and chat much about on the podcast yet was the concept of a business who was working off a one-time sale, making the switch and transition uh, to becoming a subscription business. Uh, maybe you want to start off like talking us through a little bit, like what were the motivations behind it? Uh, what were the steps that the, the company put in place to make that switch? Yeah, sure. So Greg is Greg Mercer is the founder and CEO of Jungle Scout, very savvy entrepreneur and always forward thinking. Um, an extent, he built the extension basically as a proof of concept as an Amazon seller. So he was an Amazon seller, was looking for a data-driven way to find uh, oper product opportunities. So it's not always the most popular product on Amazon that's going to make you a successful seller, but it's finding these like odd lucrative niches. So for example, one of the case studies that we ran when I was there was called the Million Dollar Case Study. We were, we were launching products to sell on Amazon. The product we ended up selling was Bamboo Marshmallow Sticks. I think they've grossed almost like $800,000 or something since they've launched. Um, but it's, it's those type of uh, products that Jungle Scout helps surface. And the extension is great, but again, you're not going to be able to get the recurring revenue from an existing customer once you acquire them. So that was really the premise behind taking the extension and then kind of morphing it. So it ultimately uh, addresses the same problem, but from a different, uh, a different lens. So that's where the SaaS product came about. And what was really great is at Jungle Scout, we were so forthright with content. Content marketing was really the, the uh, growth engine for us. And once we had uh, a, an installed user base for the Chrome extension, that was a fantastic uh, initial uh, group to sell the SaaS product to. Yeah, I was going to say as well, it sounds very similar to what you're saying now uh, when like a case like Zillow, for example, you mentioned dating apps previously that if uh, a company itself, like you're only going to buy a house really once every 10, 15, 20 years, whatever. So Zillow yeah. as a product, it's not something you're doing every day. And typically what they went and did was found alternate use cases and like in the form of content. So whether it be getting a valuation on your house, uh, like using Zillow to keep up to speed and seeing uh, what the valuation of your house is or consuming content there so that when you do come around again to wanting to buy a house and like in your case, wanting to find a new product, uh, you come to Zillow for that. Uh, totally. I, I check Zestimate all the time. Now I'm checking for schools, the school yeah. rating. So that, that's a great analogy. Exactly. So how did you then start to think about like, what were some of the services or things that you could layer on uh, that would be more of a recurring use case um, for the business? For, for Jungle Scout? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Jungle Scout was uh, the SaaS product, we called it the web app, 
was basically uh, a database of all of the Amazon products on you know all the products on Amazon. So uh, there were a bunch of different metrics that we captured. So it was monthly sales, both in units and in revenue, number of reviews, number of um, or the the rating uh, out of five stars. Uh, and so basically a user would go to the product database, say, I want to look at a product that's in these categories. So they could filter for those categories within this price range with this net margin. And then it would spit, spit out what the products that fit in there are. So there were um, millions of products that were cataloged. So on an ongoing basis, you're, you're, the marketplace is so dynamic and things are changing all the time that you really want you know, a, a snapshot in time, um, but at different points in time. So the other feature that was really helpful, which we call the product tracker, would track the sales over time. So you don't just want to see, all right, there's, you know, uh, pool floats are selling really well in July. Like let's go sell pool floats and then you get it in December and it's selling nothing. So you, you want to know what the sales trajectory is over time. And so that's where the recurring element came in because we'd have the product tracker where you'd be able to get some insight on what were the price fluctuations? What were the sales? Uh, and then that would also inform what your competitors were doing as they were um, also competing, you know, Amazon's a very competitive marketplace, the search algorithm um, and the paid ads now. Uh, so you really want to get a good idea of what the holistic landscape is before you make an investment. Because these, in order to get into the Amazon, Amazon game, it might, you know, be $1,000, $2,000, depends on what your initial inventory buy is. But uh, you want to make that, make a really data-driven decision. So, um that's where we would have users who would sign up, find a couple products that they thought would be good, and then track them over time. So that that's why we had the recurring revenue, and that's why it made sense for users to sign up for the SaaS product. Yeah, and that does make a lot of sense as well, like being able to sort of see spot trends specifically in like a category and identify opportunities as well, maybe before they've even become like a big opportunity, which is cool. Exactly, uh, yeah. So uh, you were then on the marketing team and uh, you led a big part of the growth there in the early days. Um, obviously, like marketing itself has a big impact when it comes to churn and retention. Um, how was it seen? Like what was the responsibility of marketing when it came to retention uh, at Jungle Scouts? Like uh, how did you view acquisition? Yeah, sure. So uh, I was responsible for the awareness and acquisition. So basically like top of funnel and it was uh, low touch, high volume business. So uh, we didn't have a sales team. All customers came through the marketing efforts. Um, so for a while, the marketing team and, and I was responsible for uh, what retention was, um, but it, it became clearly apparent that um, as this was scaling out, it was no longer um, enough just to have a support team, but a customer success team was actually also um, an imperative. So at that point, the, the retention metric and the onboarding kind of shifted over to CS. Um, but ultimately, and I think you preach this as well on your podcast, it is a it is a team effort. So you know, no one person per se can uh, be wholly responsible for what retention is or, or, or churn at the end of the month because there are so many elements between the product team, the, the marketing devs, CS, uh, both customer success and support. So for a while it did sit on marketing, but we did transition it as our team grew and we had greater bandwidth to address um, critical points in, uh, in our onboarding. 
Absolutely. Uh, and then, so w- when it came to that though, as well, in the early days when it was sitting within marketing, uh, how did this influence the metrics that you tracked and the targets that you set? So um, in terms of things like focusing on conversion rates and uh, ensuring sort of like a CAC, like how did retention influence those metrics when you were going about the different awareness initiatives? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. You know, and to be frank, Frank, um, we didn't necessarily have the data at the at the time to inform those decisions uh, because maybe where you're going with this is like, all right, we know what the LTV is based on channel. Um, and so, you know, Facebook sellers might have a shorter lifetime value or a lower lifetime value than an organic uh, acquisition. So um, we had a, a sense of what it might be and where... Uh, what channels were best and brought in the best users, but we, we weren't necessarily able to tie down LTV to channel. Um, however, with that said, uh, we were able to, um, to do something which was perhaps more important, which was to segment what type of seller, what type of user we were getting in the onboarding phase. So that's relevant for, in this use case, because uh, an Amazon seller, you know, it could be a new seller or it could be somebody who has an eight figure business and is constantly looking to expand their brand line. So, you know, more skews is always uh, the necessary path in order to succeed as an Amazon seller. Uh, so are they, are they looking to kind of like optimize and grow and find more products or are they more of a newbie looking to get their first product up and not sure how to navigate these potential pitfalls. So that would really inform what the onboarding was. And then, so in in that way, we were able to hone in and get the right message to the right customer at the right time uh, to impact retention positively. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, When you mentioned as well, sort of the channel aspect, I think personal uh, personal opinion, I think depends on the volume. It's always going to be very difficult to understand sort of like the impact of LTV uh, and the impact of specific came, the campaigns on LTV and retention. But I think what is interesting, and you, you touched on parts of it as well, is uh, really being able to identify who your ideal customer is and then uh, being able to figure out, are you acquiring enough of those ideal customers? Because in the end of the day, if you're finding people that are sticking around with you longer and spending more, uh, you want to be trying to find more of those in your marketing initiatives and being able to measure that, I think, is super powerful. Exactly right. Cool. So uh, moving a little bit forward then, and we'll probably come back to Jungle Scout in a bit, but uh, currently now you're at Retainable and uh, maybe you want to talk us through a little bit about what you do, how you help companies, uh, what is your methodology and process? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I started Retainable because I saw firsthand how powerful a lever that retention is for growing a SaaS business. Uh, but I, I felt that there were a lot of companies that were struggling uh, to understand, like you're saying, who would be churning and when they would be churning and why. So I thought that if I could uh, provide this to other SaaS companies, then that would be an unfair advantage because with retention, just even small incremental improvements have outsized impacts when you consider even just on a monthly recurring revenue basis or what the impact is on the customer lifetime uh, over time. And that compounds as a company grows, and that's the beauty of SaaS, is the recurring nature of it. So I I did see an opportunity um, that in terms of how SaaS companies were growing, there was a a heavy emphasis on acquisition and even in some ways uh, monetization, but um, retention seemed like an area where there was uh, an unnecessary lack of focus or or, uh, 
a need. So um, yeah, I started Retainable to help B2B SaaS companies reduce churn. Um, and so how we do that really is um, focusing on uh, kind of like an expanse of customer communication, uh, product analytics and, and onboarding strategy, and then customer segmentation. So our ultimate goal is that we can hone in on getting the right message in front of the right customer at the right time. So kind of encapsulates onboarding emails and upsell emails. Uh, and then as well as like different channels, whether it's in-app messaging or push notifi push notifications or um, yeah, email as well. I love, yeah. I love that this sort of realization came from a VP of marketing uh, that like retention was one of the biggest opportunities for growth. Because like you said, it's typically one of those areas that's uh, an afterthought when it comes to growth. But really when you understand the mechanics and the, the maths behind it, it really is the, power, the most powerful lever you can do to influence growth. Yeah, and, and you're just like marketing these days, there are so many pillars within marketing. And I think... Uh, retention is such an interesting problem and it, it, it's hard to scale. There's no like one size fits all solution. I think that's the premise of your show, but it's just so fascinating to be in the depths of it with different companies and different challenges because whether it is a, a CS problem or a marketing or product, uh, but then there are elements of like email, email marketing, copywriting and analytics and, and CRO or conversion rate optimization and all these things kind of like come in, in to influence what, the likelihood is of customers staying or, or, or leaving and where there are opportunities. So I think like uh, with my experience with Jungle Scout and, and the, the customers that I'm working with now, uh, customers of Retainable, there's, there are just so many layers to peel back to figure out uh, where these improvements can be. And the, the impact is, is really um, you know, kind of heartening in some ways. Yeah. Uh, so I asked this question to uh, everyone that joins the show, and I think it's a very, very valid one to you because this probably happens to you quite a lot. Uh, let's pretend you're going to a new company and churn and retention is not great, and you've been tasked now to try and turn things around. What would be some of the things that you would do in the first 90 days uh, to actually see some results? Yeah, uh, that's, <laughs> I love that you do ask that because that's a great question. And I think ultimately, you know, I, I, I think it's the worst thing to just come in with, you know, a preconceived idea of what it is. And, you know, you come off maybe as a blowhard and like, this is what you should do. So it, it's really about understanding where the problem is first. So, uh, you know, is it uh, with a product experience? And then that might inform looking into onboarding or support documentation or the help desk resources or people not using it or is it customer support or competitive alternatives? So that really is like, uh, the first thing is solidifying what the reasons for churn are. Um, and then, so some companies do have this and have like kind of the basic blocking and tackling down of uh, what the onboarding flow is. And that would kind of inform, I'm sorry, offboarding, uh, like what the reasons for churn are, um, kind of like proportionate to everybody who churns. So that that's a, a great lens into knowing what the biggest problems are and where the gaps are. Um, and then also, I, I speak with customers. This is both uh, the high LTV, what we will call like air quotes, the good customers. Uh, what do they love about the product and why are they staying and, and why are they uh, advocates? Uh, and then the recently churned, why did they churn? So uh, of course there are like the multiple choice answers, but then also getting on the phone and um, also having email exchanges really illuminates a lot about um, the, the qualitative part that, 
brings to light what the numbers don't always do. Uh, so basically taking these reasons of churn and then mapping them against what teams can address each problem and how. Um, and then the, the next step is usually in onboarding. Um, so it's, it's generally like reviewing and improving onboarding just because that's where the biggest drop off is uh, in the first 30 to 60 days. Um, so tools there are uh, cohort analysis. So where are users falling off and why? Um, and I, I think ChartMogul does a really great job in this and like you can look at what the cohort analysis is, but then you can just kind of like layer in it. Of course, it depends on what data is being tracked, but what particular segments are showing good signs of retention where the retention curve is flattening out earlier and who's dropping off faster. And so what are those things? Um, then I think looking further into onboarding, um, it's kind of like establishing a hypothesis of what the retention funnel is. So understanding what the key users um, or what the key actions for users to do to achieve you know, their first aha moment. Or, or what is it? Sometimes companies have conflicting views of it or, or might not know for sure. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think just kind of accelerating that time to first value and then understanding what the, the kind of key milestones are and then where the drop off. So it's very similar to what you might see as an acquisition funnel, but of course it's just uh, in reverse, you know, like where, where the drop off is and, and how can we address that? How can we understand? Yeah, that's a very like thorough process, I think then. I think you started off as well, uh, three different areas in terms of research was really the more like uh, quantitative view of the reasons for churn of uh, people that have this historical view. Uh, the second point you mentioned was uh, speaking to successful customers, which I really, really love. And I think personally, it's the best place to start is really trying to understand what are those behaviors that successful companies and successful accounts are showing uh, that you can try help and replicate in others and see where the missing point is. And then the last one you mentioned was uh, having uh, jumping on the phone with people that have recently churned uh, because as well, I think uh, that's super powerful Then gives you this holistic view to identify which stage of the funnel you mentioned so uh, let's jump back as well then to the, the three months now and uh, you've come out of this the end of it and one of the things i'm always interested in as well especially coming from the outside is like execution uh, how do you start making things happen from this uh, and like one thing is definitely getting alignment and getting buy-in how do you do this uh, when you come into companies and uh, you've done your initial research you've understood uh, what the problems are, what are your next steps when you work with them to sort of make sure that this is not just a study and then it gets left on the shelf, but actually changes are made and uh, you can measure the impact? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And I think the, the challenge, the alignment is established upfront uh, before we start a, a formal engagement. Um, and the great thing I think is that there's absolutely alignment and there's little resistance because in some ways, um, and granted I've been, uh, at this kind of like from an outside perspective for maybe six months. Um, so that's a, a six month sample size. Um, there's, there's a real willingness to have a, a standardized approach to retention and, and kind of like a retention strategy and framework. And I think in many ways, what I see is uh, that there is such a focus, you know, as I was saying earlier on acquisition and growing new leads and, and um, new sales, 
that the retention is kind of like uh, trailed and in terms of what the priority is until there's a certain inflection point of the company is this big and retention is becoming more of a, a, a challenge and a pain um, seeing X number of fallout every month. Um, so the resistance isn't necessarily a challenge, but you're, you're totally right that um, it, it requires an alignment. And I think that this is true, whether you're you know, an outside party like I am, or if you're a, a team, because uh, even if it is fully handled internally, uh, there, there needs to be alignment between customer success and marketing and product and dev uh, and support. Um, so yeah, I, I think that the, uh, the real challenge is like, all right, can we get this going and can we make the improvements as quickly as possible? Uh, because there's, there is like a framework that I bring to the table and there's, there's the buy-in there and like, yeah, this totally makes sense. But in some ways, in the same way that on the marketing side, there's a hypothesis and then you run, run the test and not everything is necessarily going to result in an uplift in you know, whatever it is that you're optimizing for. Uh, retention is the same way there's not always going to be an improved onboarding experience the first time around. However, you know, of course those uh, failures can be lessened. And then from there that becomes uh, informative for what the next test might be. So whether it's uh, a, a test on the segmentation of who you're targeting or what the messaging is or what the channel is uh, there's um, there, I think the, the challenge might be, to impart the willingness to test uh, and balance that with the urgency to see results and see positive results. So uh, it, it's an interesting challenge, but from what I've seen, like churn is such a, a, a big problem that there's like, you know, let, let's figure it out and let's go at it. So uh, we both have, both parties have a, a real sense of urgency to get this fixed. Yeah. Uh, and definitely, I think you mentioned like a few different things there is that like that alignment is really, really key because like one team experimenting with one part of the product can actually have an impact on a completely different set and area and uh, retention itself. Uh, it's not something typically you would see overnight changes and it's normally a collection of multiple changes that uh, really drive the, the figure up and uh, churn down with it. So it's one, maybe just having a little bit of patience, but I think in in my thing is like it's really critical to have an alignment across the board you can't have different teams focus on different objectives so you can't have marketing just trying to increase um growth and just trying to bring in new leads by any means necessary it really needs to be sort of okay the company's focus is we're trying to increase retention we're trying to reduce churn uh, every team on the company needs to be aligned with this and every team on the company needs to be experimenting and doing something to try and impact this exactly I'd be curious to hear your your thoughts and some of the feedback you've heard from your guests then in terms of where where the owner lies. And because it's so multifaceted and, and goes across teams, it seems most logical that it's, you know, ultimately it's a, a company and a team and, and maybe as, on an individual level, it might be the CEO, um, yeah. which I think makes sense. But what, what do you think there? Yeah, so I mean, it is pretty much, uh, it varies a little bit, but I'd say the vast majority of companies end up sitting in customer success being responsible for it. Um, it might change during the course of the like the growth. In the early days, it might be the whole company's responsible, but then ultimately ends up living with customer success in most parts. My personal opinion is like, this should always just be the number one goal of any SaaS business. Like, 
mm-hmm. should just be the North Star that everybody's always focused on because that way that uh, each different team can still own certain parts and certain aspects uh, of it. But having the whole team constantly just thinking about this, being the biggest uh, growth lever you can pull in your company, it's the reason why companies are alive and it's the reason why companies die. So having it just as like we're a SaaS business and retention is the number one thing, uh, I think that sort of mindset will uh, lead to like a very, very positive outcome and uh, help keep alignment always. Yeah, absolutely. So the next thing I have a question for you is um, the, you work as well now with quite a few different companies. What are some of the things that you're surprised by, or you think not enough companies actually pay attention to or look into? So obviously retention being one of them, but are there any things like specific in the area uh, they just say, okay, like I come into quite a few companies now and I feel there's like this this common gap that companies tend to leave out a step or they don't focus on a specific area. Yeah, so there are a couple that, that come into mind immediately. One is kind of like the, the data collection and the, uh, I guess like, you know, it gets very challenging to have you know a source of truth and and it's also a huge technical endeavor to have a data warehouse where everything is piped in and piped out very accurately and everybody's like pulling from that because you know as we're talking about teams have different um, goals and, and initiatives going on they also have their own marketing softwares and so there's there's going to be some conflict in um data sources. Um, so I think that might come with maybe just a later stage in, in maturity in company. Um, but I think that's a, that's a challenge is what data is out there. And of course, it's like Goldilocks, it could be way too much data. And then there's a lot of noise, or it could just be not enough. And then there are some ways where either you have to make decisions based on a hunch, or based on a small sample size, uh, and kind of like work from there. Uh, I think that that's kind of just the nature of business though. There's always going to be a decision made um, with imperfect data, uh, but that that's a challenge. Um, so, you know, from the outset, I think uh, having, you know, an, an event tracking sheet where you, you outline, you know, what it is and then what it is in terms of user events that are being tracked. Uh, and that goes for, you know, like what your email campaign or your email service provider is say like, you know, drip or intercom, uh, as well as, uh, or I should say active campaign, as well as maybe like an intercom or whatever CRM is and, and make sure that there's, um, kind of an alignment of, uh, the events and, and data that's being tracked between the two. Uh, because ultimately the goal is to create tight segments so that you're able to, um, get the necessary information and messaging in front of the customer um, based on what their activities or lack of activities are. Uh, and so that really comes down to what data you're gathering. Yeah, uh, I can relate a lot to what you're saying now as well. So I think like uh, I'm actually, I work at Hotjar and uh, busy building the business intelligence team. Uh, and we're probably like two, three years too late uh, in the sense that uh, we're only really starting to get started now with having a robust infrastructure and set up to be able to analyze and consume data. And we were in that scenario where um, there wasn't really much trust in the data. We were using different tools for different uh, sources and we're seeing different numbers everywhere. So definitely is a, is a big challenge. I think though as well on this, that there's a time as well when it comes to having data metrics. And it's also important maybe for like younger startups to, to think because this is something like 
when I first joined Hotjar, I was surprised that we didn't have a robust setup. But looking back now in hindsight, like early days when you don't really have enough data, um, you're just looking at noise. So you're much better served by having really strong uh, foot in the ground with qualitative data, speaking to customers constantly, uh, of which you should always do and you should never stop. But then there does come a point in time where you can't make decisions just with qualitative and you actually need to have the quantitative. So I think we probably started a little bit late at Hotjar, but I think we did a good job in the beginning of really like just almost 100% purely relying on qualitative uh, research, really iterating on that product based on feedback. Having some sort of quantitative element to it, obviously like, uh, grouping and collecting those voices, but uh, I think timing as well is another thing with the data. For sure. I mean, there's there are solutions now, you know, like mixed panels, auto track or heap, where you can just kind of like drop in a snippet and then go back and say, hey, like, w what is this doing? And then you can kind of create events retroactively. And I think that's incredible. Um, so that that's kind of like a good solution, but um, yeah, not everybody uses excellent. that. Yeah, those are both excellent. So you don't really need to be forward thinking and thinking what you're looking for. Just you have sort of the safety net of having it available if you need it. Yeah. However, that, that doesn't negate the importance of having a well thought out plan of what you're going to be tracking and why and how that informs, you know, whether it's the onboarding or the messaging or um, however you're carrying your customer through their customer lifecycle. Um, I think it's still important because too much data is just not necessarily helpful either. Yeah, I would say it's critical. Uh, and I think like you think about an early stage, it's, it's something that's often overlooked as well. It's uh, okay, like we'll get to it. There's just so many other things that are more important. But starting early will give you so much more advantages when you actually do get around to taking advantage of it and uh, making use of data effectively. So. Yeah. Cool. So again, we're running close now on time. Last question for you is, uh, what is one piece of advice that you would give to any startup now who has issues with churn, like, uh, and thinking about how to go out solving it? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I think the, the thing to think back is that churn is ultimately a lagging indicator and it's kind of indicative of a customer's likelihood of succeeding. So I think, if you're able to hone in on what your different customer personas are and what the, the goals of those different customer personas are, and then take it from there in terms of um, the user education and the content that you might have and the product education and introducing them to the product, then I think you'll, you'll be able to um, kind of like have incremental improvements on where, on how, many customers and how likely they are to, you know, air quotes, succeed, you know, whatever their definition of success is and whatever the goals that they're trying to accomplish. So, um, yeah, I think that that might go to the very, very early stages of uh, onboarding and then segmenting there. So gathering that critical information of what their goals are, what their version of success is. And I think one, one famous example is, um, the founder of Groove, who just sends an email, like, what does success look like for you? And I have no idea of what they do on the back end, how they tag it or who answers it and, and how that customer is profiled from there. Uh, but I think that that's just a really good way to like personalize the first experience with the product. And then from there, uh, the company can help the, the customer that much more in terms of uh, succeeding. 
Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's like really, if you're not delivering value, uh, people are going to churn. Figuring out who are your key segments and what are they after, what are they looking to use your product or service for, and how can you give them that value, is key to ensuring like success and uh, reducing churn. So again, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, really, really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. It was fun. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting Churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.